Well, amen. Good morning. Welcome to The Grove. We are so glad that you are with us on this last Sunday in July. My name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time with us, or maybe your first time back in a while, if you've been traveling this summer, or if just kind of the, the lack of consistency and routine this summer has kind of gotten the better of your family, and you're joining us for maybe the first time in a while, we are really Really glad that you're here today. We also want to welcome everybody who's worshiping online with us this morning. If you are traveling and tuning in this morning, we're glad you're part of our church family through the power of technology. Well, we are wrapping up a sermon series that we have been talking about literally all summer. Um, and for some of you, if you've been coming consistent, consistently, it feels like we've been talking about it all summer because we have been talking about vices and virtues. Um, this is something that I think we jumped into without really understanding just how impactful this sermon would, these, this series of sermons would be, I think probably for us personally, but from the feedback that we've received from y'all, I think it is born to be true for y'all as well. I kind of made this offhand analogy at the start of the series that has kind of haunted me throughout the series, but I talked about how this series would kind of function like those like triple magnification mirrors that some of you have in your home where, you know, a normal mirror, you're like, oh, everything looks good. And then you turn on like the enhanced magnification and you're like, oh, like you see things at a different level and a different scale than you realize. And you don't have the same kind of sense of assurance of how things are actually going. That's the series has been that way for me. I figured, you know, out of seven vices and kind of one overarching week, I was like, well, I'll probably have a couple of weeks off where this won't apply to me. And that has not been the case. Each week I'm like, oh, not again. Oh, not again. You know, over and over, maybe you've had kind of a similar experience as we have been talking through this series. It just seems like it is so easy for us to get caught up in these vices. Well, uh, the definition that we've been using throughout kind of the course of this series, really that vices and virtues are the same thing, just moving in opposite directions. And it's really just a pattern of behavior, a habit uh, a series of actions that over time, the more that you participate in them, they start to kind of create this well-worn groove in our life and in our heart. And they form us towards or away from the person of Christ. So obviously vices move us further away from the image of Christ. Virtues, those kind of patterned after the example of Christ, the more that we participate in them, the more they form and shape our lives and move us towards the example and image of Christ. And so what we've been talking about is how do we begin to name these vices and identify their effects on our life? What are the virtues that we should model instead? And what are the spiritual disciplines that help us to get there? And really, the way that all of this works is these vices are just these normal desires that we all have that have become disordered over time. It's a, a longing for a reasonable good that we have then started to crave in an unreasonable way. Gluttony is a great example. It's normal to want to eat food, but when you have an, a disordered desire for food, that starts to move you towards this pattern of vice. And so we kind of work through the same example throughout all of the different vices. And so over the last seven weeks, this is what we have been talking about. Gluttony, sloth, wrath, envy, lust, greed, and last but not least, the one that everybody has been waiting on, vainglory. How many of you have ever heard the word vainglory before in your life? Not vain and not glory, but vainglory. 
Good. A lot of work to do this morning for me. Okay, so vainglory is the last vice that we're going to talk about. And depending on kind of the kind of moment in time in Christian history, it may or may not have been included on this list because, as you'll see, in a way, it's kind of like a cousin to pride. So to kind of unpack this idea of vainglory and what it means in our life, let's just look at how this word is constructed. And this will be fairly obvious, but we're going to go slow and then we'll pick up speed as we go along. Okay, so the first part of this word vainglory is just the word vain, which means in this context, empty, meaningless, insignificant, um, not of substance, so empty, and then glory, which is the recognition of goodness. So anything that receives recognition for its goodness, whether it's a legitimate goodness or it's an artificial or fake goodness, receives glory. Good things receive glory, things that we would all agree upon as being good receive glory, but also things that aren't actually that good receive a lot of glory because of the recognition that it gets. So example, People Magazine, people that are famous for being famous, right? There's a lot of recognition, a lot of glory that is attributed to these people for valid reasons, mm debatable, right? So as we start to put these two components and ideas together, empty, recognition of goodness, we get this idea of vainglory. It's an empty recognition of goodness. And the emptiness can apply in lots of different ways. Here's what I mean. Some things that we see recognition for are valid. Some things that we see recognition for probably are fairly vain and empty. They're actually not that significant. Oh, hey, buddy, nice lawn you got there, the greenest grass in the whole neighborhood. Like some of the attention we get in those ways, it's like, well, is that really deserving of recognition? Is that really deserving of attention? Or maybe it's some kind of promotion that you got. Maybe that's a little bit more valid. Or maybe it's some way that you've been self-promotive and you've tried to gain attention for something that isn't all that significant. There are these ways that there is a vanity and an emptiness to the recognition that we receive. So Thomas Aquinas defines vainglory this way. The disordered or excessive desire to have one's goodness recognized or acknowledged by others. And just like every other vice, vainglory takes a good thing and it distorts it. It twists it. It creates an excessive desire for it or a desire for something that isn't deserving of that longing and that desire. And so in this case for vainglory, it's a normal need that we all have for recognition, for approval, for people to see us, to notice us, to be known and to be loved, you know, in kind of that attentive way. We all have this. We've all had this our whole lives. This is just the way that we're created. The problem comes in the ways that we try to get that attention and recognition, the things we try to get that attention and recognition for, or the groups or the people that we try to get that attention and recognition from. Now, in a perfect world, the way that this would work is that we would have an innate sense of self-worth, not because how great we are based on our own merits and abilities, but because we're created as a child of God. And our innate sense of worth and significance is not derived by the opinions and values of other people, but it is something that we inherently receive and feel from God and trust. With that kind of security, we would go through life without needing to draw attention to ourselves for the things that we do or chase after praise for people, from people so that we can reassure ourselves of our worth and value. That'd be great if it actually worked that way. But for most of us, 
we have had this longing for recognition and approval for things that maybe aren't worthy or in excessive and extreme ways or from groups that maybe we didn't actually need or deserve praise and recognition from. So for example, we'll start small. Uh, when I was in kindergarten, I had this opportunity to do show and tell. At my, at my, yeah, stay with me. We're going to get to the real stuff here in a second. I'm building you up. Uh, in kindergarten, I had the opportunity to do show and tell. Well, one of the things that I think my father had gifted me in that recent time period was like this little leather pouch of fool's gold. Did anybody ever have fool's gold when they were a kid? Okay, well, I had this fool's gold. I took it to my kindergarten, and I presented this pouch full of fool's gold. Well, of course, because I wanted an inordinate amount of recognition and attention from the moment I was born. At least it's finally stopped, right? But from the moment I was born, this inordinate amount of recognition and attention, I described this pouch that I had as being real gold. I lied about what it was. I created a fake good so that I would receive recognition, approval, attention from my five-year-old and six-year-old peers. Right? This is how it works. A couple of years later, I'm in elementary school, and I was a child um, who became an adult who thinks that they know the answer to everything. And in addition to thinking they know the answer to everything, they also want to make sure that everybody else knows that they know the answer to everything. Maybe you have one of those in your family or in your mirror. And so what I would do in the classroom was I was always the one who was coming out of their chair, raising their hand, trying to make sure that the teacher and my fellow classmates knew that I knew the answer to whatever problem or question was happening in the classroom at that time. These are small little examples. Insignificant. They're not all that harmful, but they stem from this longing and desire that we all have for recognition and for approval. Those are good things. But when we seek after them in disordered and extreme ways, or we seek approval for things that actually aren't inherently good, or from groups that we don't actually need approval and attention from, it starts to become a problem. So fast forward my life when I'm in middle school. And I have a group of friends who uh, at times were maybe questionable influences upon me and my life and my decisions and my behavior. Well, in a desire to gain their approval, I decided that I would make fun of another kid in our class. Not just once, but repeatedly. Every week I show up and make fun of the same kid because it would make my group of friends laugh and I liked the way it felt when I when they laughed at the way that I was teasing and bullying this kid. Well, now you can see how this starts to become a problem and the ways that this grows throughout our life. I wanted an inordinate, a disordered desire for recognition and approval, and I was willing to go to unfavorable you know, means, you know, kind of hurtful, harmful means to gain that recognition and approval from a group that it never actually satisfied. It didn't last. If I had a better sense of my own self-worth, if I was less insecure as a middle schooler, I would have known that hey, I don't need to act that way just to entertain my group of friends or to gain their approval or significance, especially by doing things that were hurtful and harmful to other people. This is the way it works in our life. Now, we probably have examples from our childhood that fit this description, but for us adults today, it's actually something that I think 
we become desensitized to because of culture and the way that we just assume that life is supposed to work. I mean, we all have seen the effects of social media causing people to do more and more extreme things or to post in more and more frequent manners because the way that that little heart or that like or that view or that follow feels for us, we kind of can get into this cycle where we long for and desire the approval of complete strangers. Let's be real honest. How many of you have done a really embarrassing dance that was filmed so that you could gain a couple of likes. I know you, some of our more seasoned members here this morning, I know I'm talking to you, right? We'll begin to do things because we want the attention, we want the approval, we want the recognition. But it's not just in kind of silly, lighthearted ways. Like the ways that we begin to boast and to brag and to belittle other people's stories, accomplishments, the things that they've done because it makes us feel bigger, more powerful, more in control, or the ways that we become a little deceitful and we don't tell the full story that acknowledges the ways that we maybe have made mistakes, the ways that we didn't get everything totally right. We kind of paint over and gloss over some of the the ways that we weren't exactly perfect in our life or we weren't exactly uh, blameless in that moment. We do these different types of things because it presents the best version of ourself so that people acknowledge and affirm and love us. This is a problem. And there's kind of two ways that we see vainglory kind of manifest in our life. And the first is called prideful vainglory. This is most associated with boasting, with bragging. This is a version of vainglory that there's some legitimate good reason why you might be deserving of recognition or attention. Maybe it's because of some credentials that you've gained. Maybe it's because of a certain role that you have in an organization. Maybe it's because of a certain set of accomplishments. Whatever it might be, you fill in the blank. But this is, there's a legitimate good, and so recognition for that good is reasonable. But you go about seeking attention and recognition for that good in an extreme, in a disordered, in an inappropriate way. So, for example, we all have people in our life who are one-uppers. You know what I'm talking about? You tell a story about something that happened to you, you're like, oh my gosh, we just went on the best vacation to Colorado Springs. And they're like, yeah, we just got back from France. And you're like, good for you. Or it's like, oh, we had, you know, the most wonderful dinner at home. It's like, oh yeah, we just got back from this really nice restaurant. Like, Whatever you say, they have a version that they've done that's just slightly better than yours, right? We all kind of have these people in our life who just always seem to have us, what we've done, plus a little bit extra. Well, what's behind that desire to one-up? Even if it's not conscious, it's this need for affirmation. It's this need for recognition and for approval for something that they've done or gained or accomplished or experienced. This is prideful vainglory because it longs for recognition of something that's already possessed or something that already exists. That's prideful vainglory. Now contrast that with fearful vainglory. So instead of this kind of sense of assurance that you're good and great or have done something good and great and you want to try to get as much acclaim and recognition for it, fearful vainglory kind of is the opposite. If if prideful vainglory is like the offensive, fearful vainglory is like the defensive version of this. This is, there's a fear 
there's an uncertainty, there's an insecurity that you're actually not good enough. And so you do whatever you can to hide, to cover up, to mask the ways that you feel that you're inferior or insignificant or aren't worthy of love and recognition. And so you kind of gloss over kind of the unsavory details of your past or your life or whatever it may be so that people will affirm in you something that may not actually be true. Now, this happens in lots of different ways, from the clothes that we might wear to the houses that we live in or the cars that we drive or the versions of our life that we present publicly on social media or even kind of like the cosmetics industry. Like, these are all designed. Now, some of you just heard makeup is bad. Now, let me just say that's not what I'm saying. But there can be desires behind any of the ways, men or women, that we try to present a different facade and a different face, literally and figuratively, to the rest of the world because of a fear, because of an insecurity that we're not actually worthy and deserving of this love and this recognition. Right? We do this. One of the the silly ways that I do this in my own life is, um, this feels really embarrassing to say this actually. So if you go to our website and you click all sermons and you can see all of the thumbnails of all of the sermons that we've preached for like a three month period. Well, most Sundays, as I'm trying to decide what to wear that morning, I go back and I hit the thumbnails to make sure that I'm not two weeks in a row wearing the exact same thing, like back to back. Like anybody would leave because, oh, we wore that last Sunday. We're out of here. But this is, I I do this. I don't know why I'm telling you about this, but I do this because there is this fear that if I show up wearing the same thing that I wore last Sunday, because, you know, you stand up here enough, you forget what you wear. You're like, I don't remember what I wore last Sunday. I want to make sure that I'm not duplicating an outfit. So I do this because there's this fear that if I'm exposed for repeating a same outfit, Two weeks in a row, or heaven forbid, you know, alternating weeks. It's like, oh, he has three things he wears. He just alternates them. Like, people will think less of me. They'll realize that maybe I'm not whatever it is that I seem to be pretending that I am. Well, we do this, we do this in our life in all of these different ways. But it, it starts to create problems because there's a, a lack of authenticity that exists and a lack of ability to connect to other people's authenticity when we start to participate in these things. You know, it's, you know, it's fun to kind of stand up there and laugh at the minister, but like this happens in our life in ways that is harmful to us. There's this really powerful quote that uh, Frederick Buechner, who we've quoted again and again throughout this series, t- says about the effects of vainglory in our life, and I, w- and I want to read it to you this morning. It says, it's ironic that the art of impressing others and gaining applause usually requires carefully hiding ourselves as much as it involves showing ourselves off to advantage. Let me read that again. It's ironic. Maybe a different word would be sad. It's uncomfortable that the art of impressing others and gaining applause usually requires carefully hiding ourselves as much as it involves showing ourselves off to advantage. Those are the two versions of vainglory that we experience. There's prideful vainglory, where we show ourselves off because we think we're deserving of some legitimate good. And then there's also fearful vainglory, this idea of carefully hiding ourselves because we're actually afraid of what happens if we get revealed and exposed for who we really are or what we're really not. 
He goes on. To be lauded by others, we cannot let them see our flaws, our failures, and our dark sides. Winning their approval and praise requires not only that we keep up a false facade, but also that we carefully conceal the ugly truth about ourselves. And we all have experiences with people where we don't really feel safe sharing our true self, whether that manifests in boasting about our accomplishments to try to keep up or concealing our weaknesses and brokenness and failures because of fear of rejection. But we all know what it's like to be in a relationship or a series of relationships where it's not, I can't really show all the way up. I don't really want to show all the way up. I am a version of me to fit in in this place and in this space. And we also can contrast that with relationships where we can be our full, whole, authentic selves and the difference in how that feels. We all have trusted friendships. Maybe it's within your marriage or your significant other where you're like, well, they know all of me, good, bad, and ugly. Or maybe you have that experience where you're in a relationship and you just can't seem to be totally honest, totally vulnerable, totally yourself. It's challenging. It's challenging to have authentic relationships. This is one of the things that I am actively working to undo in my own kind of life and psychology. I have had a margin of success presenting a polished version of me. But what I have found in my life is that you don't gain a lot of really deep, close friends doing it that way. When you're just a version, a facade, a shiny exterior of who you really are, it's actually hard for people to connect to the real you because they don't know the real you because either you don't know the real you or you aren't letting them in to the real you. It's work that I'm still doing and will probably be doing the rest of my life, but what happens is we can't have authentic relationships and authentic community if we're not our authentic selves. And nowhere is it easier to fake it than right here. As religious people who, on the exterior, claim and attempt to do good, it is really easy to fake here. My hope and my prayer for this church is that we're a place where we can be our full, whole, authentic selves good, bad, and ugly. And be honest and transparent about that. Because when we are, people come in to our space, they interact with us, and they say, oh, I can actually be all of me here. I can be the real me. I can be the full version of me, and I'm not at risk of rejection or exile or ridicule. All of the things that we fear because it's the antithesis of our longing to be known and to be loved. That's my hope. But we all have probably had experiences in churches where you're like, ooh, don't step out of line here. It's like, you know, you and the kids are fighting in the car, and you're like, straighten up, we're about to walk into church. You know, you do that thing, it's like, we got to get it, tuck your shirt tail in, we're about to walk into church, because there is a, a mold that we have to fit into. Jesus cautions us against this. He knows how easy it is for us religious people to fall into the temptation of vainglory, to just present this shiny, happy exterior while ignoring what's going on on the inside. This comes out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. And a couple months ago, we, we taught through this, so I'm going to kind of move through it quickly. But just hear the caution that Jesus warns those who are listening to this about. 
It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Not just don't practice your righteousness in front of others. That's not the problem. The problem comes in why you're doing it and the goal you're trying to gain from doing it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. If that's the goal, is recognition from others, then you've received what you want. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This is what Jesus warns us again. He knows our temptation to do good things for the recognition to be seen by other people. And then he gives some series of illustrations of kind of the most common ways that people practiced their righteousness back then. He says, so when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. That word hypocrite in its original context just means an actor, somebody who's pretending, somebody who is not their authentic, whole, true self, somebody who is demonstrating aversion to be seen by others. They're working off a script. It's not coming out of the depths of their heart who they truly are. It's a version that they've carefully manufactured and curated to be best received by other people. Don't do what the hypocrites do because they do it to be honored by others. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They've gained what they sought, the acknowledgement and the recognition of others. He goes on. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray and stand in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? To be seen by others. Once again, they got what they wanted to receive recognition and acknowledgement. Oh, look how righteous and spiritual they are. Look how good they are. Again, it doesn't have to be generosity, giving money. It doesn't have to be praying. This can come in all sorts of forms throughout our life. And then lastly, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. If you keep going down this pattern, there becomes such a divide and a disconnect internally between who you have presented and who you really are. This is what allows us to harm people, to hurt others, to be so disconnected from our sense of values and priorities. We become disintegrated. The parts of ourselves are no longer in harmony and in unity with one another because we are caught in this divide between who we are presenting because of who we want people to believe we are or the recognition that we long for and who we actually are. And Jesus kind of sums it all up with this a couple of chapters later. He says, woe to you, you hypocrites, you actors, you fakers, for you are like whitewashed tombs. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know as you're coming into the city, there are hillsides filled with all of these white tombs. And he says, you're like these whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful. The time that I was in Jerusalem, as you pull into the city and you see all of this, you're like, oh, that's beautiful. What is it? And then you realize it's a bunch of graves. You're like, oh, that's a little less beautiful than what I thought it was. Jesus acknowledges. He says, listen, they look beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, they're full of the bones of the dead and of all kinds of uncleanness. Uncleanness. I told you I messed this word up. I was like, is it uncleanliness? Is it uncleanness? On the outside, you look righteous to others. But inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Left unchecked, this is where the vice of vainglory leads us. Totally disconnected from who we really are. 
our actions don't match our values. Our values don't reflect our character. It causes havoc in our lives and in our relationships. And so the way that we move away from this vice is to move towards something else. Remember, a vice is a habit, a pattern of action and behavior. And so you can't just stop one thing. You typically have to replace it with something else. It's like giving up smoking. You just you see people, they chew a lot of gum. You know, it's like they have to, there's a swap that you engage in most of the time. The same is true for vices and virtues. So as we move from vice to virtue, the virtue that we want to move to, the virtue that we want to start enacting and living out and repeating over and over in our life is the virtue of humility. Now, we have an association with this word humility in our kind of contemporary culture that I don't think bears um, accurate reflection of what early church thinkers and writers meant by the word humility. And so this definition is really intentional. It says, humility is a rightly sized and an honest view of oneself and one's goodness. Back at the beginning of this series, we talked about how we are designed to love God, to love others, and to love ourselves. With each of the vices, that ordering of loves becomes disordered, and we move love of self to the top in some way. Through the pursuit of the vice, it's ultimately rooted in this love of self. With humility, you place yourself in the right order and in the right perspective. So for some of us, if we are inclined towards that prideful vainglory, we think too much of ourselves. And we need to put ourselves back in proper alignment and place in reference to God and others. And for others of us who we're on the fearful side of vainglory, maybe we think too little of ourselves. We're too fearful of what we're not. And we need to understand our inerrant worth and identity as a child and a creation of God. So there's this component of humility that's not like just think of yourself as worthless or think of everybody else as better than you. It's, no, no, there's a proper perspective and relationship between God others and ourselves and we need to restore that proper perspective and that proper relationship so it's firstly a right sized view of oneself but it's also an honest view of ourself and our goodness for those of us who struggle with prideful vainglory it's recognizing that we're not everything that we want people to say that we are it's admitting some of the stuff that is also there in addition to the ways that we're good. Again, it's, it's not kind of like this self-punishment where you just stand in a mirror and talk to yourself about how bad you are. That's not the goal of this, but it's to recognize that we're all flawed and we're all imperfect and we're all working to try to do better. But in the same way, for those of us that are fearful for all of the ways that we are aware that we're insufficient and deficient, it's recognizing that, no, there's inherent goodness in us too. God created us and said that, we're very good. Like that part exists also. It's not a one or the other, but it's a both and. And so it's this practice of developing humility that puts everything in its proper perspective. And over time, as we begin to live into this humility, we actually no longer long for and need the recognition and the approval of others in the way that we once did. Sure, it's nice to hear good job. Hey, you worked really hard on that. That was awesome. Like, that feels good. It's one thing to allow that to feel good, but it's another thing to excessively or disorderedly desire it, to crave it, to need it, 
and to go to whatever lengths to gain it. A great example of kind of humility and right-sized view of oneself is the German composer Johann Sebastian Bach. Now, he composed in the 17th and 18th century. And what I learned this week was that at the end of all of his composures, he wrote the same three words or abbreviated them in three letters at the end of every work that he created. And it looks like this. In that lower right-hand corner, he writes the word soli, deo, gloria, which in Latin means to God alone be the glory. Unbelievable talent, championed and celebrated in his day and age and still today. And yet he recognized that he played the notes, but in his words, it was God that created the music. Soli Deo Gloria. What does it look like to live with this mentality in our life? Yes, we strive for great things. Yes, we work hard. Yes, we do the things that we are called to do or inspired to do. But who are we attributing the glory to? Soli Deo Gloria. So, As we've done with each week, there are a series of spiritual practices that allow us to develop and build this virtue of humility. And the first, like each week, is this practice of self-examination. So I'm going to give you some questions to wrestle with, to talk about over lunch, to haunt you late at night. Here's the first one. Where in my life do I desire the approval of others over the approval of God? For some of you, it might be a very specific, narrow area. For some of you, it might be more general, and you're like everywhere. But where? Where in your life do you desire the approval of others over the approval of God? Next question. Where in my life do I struggle with boasting? Where am I inclined to crave and need and long for an extreme recognition for something that I've done or something that I possess? And then... The last one, what parts of my life do I need to be more honest about? This is the ways that we kind of cover up and we don't reveal the full truth. We're not our full, authentic selves. What parts of my life do I need to be more honest about? Like looking at the sermon library to figure out what I wore the week before. Like, that might need to change. You're going to see me in the same outfit for five weeks in a row. But these are the questions to wrestle with, and it'll reveal other things. And then there's two practices that we have shared time and time again, but in this time, I think they really do help us develop this virtue of humility. And it's the practice of silence and solitude. It's not just kind of the way that we've traditionally understood them, but as it relates to, to silence, how do you disengage from the ways that you're inclined to boast about your accomplishments? If you were inclined towards boasting, How do you refrain from boasting in your own life? How do you let your good deeds and all of your accomplishments, how do you let those go unannounced and unacknowledged? Maybe it's habits on social media about posting certain things or celebrating certain things. It doesn't mean that you don't experience, like, oh, yeah, I worked hard for that. But maybe you don't need to let everybody else know so that they can give you recognition and approval and attention for it. So how do you refrain from boasting? And then how do you listen to God's voice to remind you of what it means to be rightly sized and honest about your place in the larger cosmos? That's the first. Sitting in silence. 
And second is solitude. How do we isolate ourselves from needing to be in front of a crowd, whether it's literal or figurative? How do we begin to trust that even in the absence of the limelight, we're going to be okay? Like our livelihood, our worth isn't dependent on adoring fans, whether it's two or 2,000. What does it look like to trust that God has created us as enough, just as we are, and we don't need to go seeking for all of the ways that that spotlight feels good on our face? And then what does it look like in your life to spend time alone with God, to begin to sit in the discomfort while all the voices in your head that tell you lies about what you are or what you aren't and the ways that you need to work to rectify that in the world, the ways that you need to chase after the approval of others, how do you begin to do the long, slow work of allowing yourself to be uncomfortable as we begin to learn to trust to find satisfaction in the voice of God, in the presence of God in our life, and knowing that, no, it's okay, I'm enough. Like, God has created me enough. I don't need to chase after it. This is kind of where the, world, the role of grace fits in here, because grace is this unmerited, undeserved goodness of God at work in our life which indicates that there's no more that you could do to get more grace. And there's nothing else you could do to lose the grace. It's given freely, just as you are right now in this moment. Even if you go on to accomplish a whole bunch of things, or even if you go on to do a bunch of terrible things, the grace is available. Which is why in this next song that the band's going to lead us through, we talk about it is not us. It is not us doing the things, but it is the power of Christ at work in us. This is true not just for vainglory and for the ways that we seek after recognition and approval. It's true for all of the other ways that we wrestle with these vices and all of these ways that we try to cultivate these virtues in our life. My hope will be that as we begin to sit in the silence and the solitude to wrestle with the ways we chase after approval, the ways that we boast and brag about our accomplishments or the ways that we cover up our insufficiencies, that we'll begin to trust the still small voice that says, just as you are. And we begin to try to live our lives so that God alone gets the glory. Let me pray for us, and then I'll invite the ushers to come forward, and then we'll stand and we'll sing this song one last time. Let's pray. Soli Deo Gloria. God, to you alone be all of the glory. God, you have created us. You have made and formed us, and it is you who have redeemed us. And so, God, in the ways that we are inclined to brag about all that we've done on our own, remind us that none of this is possible without you. And God, for the ways that we're inclined to doubt and to hide all of the ways that we are insufficient, may we be reminded of your continual presence in our life. So that whether it's through our boasting or whether it's through our hiding, God, that we find our true worth and value in you. And that no matter what we do, we're reminded that it's to you that the glory is deserved. Help us to live this out in our lives.
and inspired it in others. We pray these in your name. Amen.